this morning, and Happy New Year to all of you as we are here at New Year's Eve day. And so, <clears throat> hard to believe how quickly the time seems to go by, but yet it does. And so, as it's been well said, time stops for no man, and so it just continues to just pass on by, and uh, here we are at the end of the year again, and um, it's quite amazing how quickly it seems to pass us by so often. You'll have to forgive me, I know I'm going to be clearing my throat a little bit this morning. Um, I've had some respiratory issues going on, so I've not been shaking hands either. Um, No, I'm not being rude, Um, at least no more than usual, (laughs) and so I'm not, uh, I'm just trying not to uh, be around, uh, you know, shaking hands or contact with everyone, so, um, but doing, doing fine, so don't, I wouldn't be concerned yet, I just didn't want to have any issues with anyone as far as possibly um, passing anything along, so, but anyway, we'll be looking at this morning at Colossians chapter 3, so look with me please, as we've been now for a few weeks in Colossians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye also shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil uh, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again this morning together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to stand and proclaim your truth, and we pray, Father, that as we've gathered here this day, that our hearts and minds will be joined together in edifying one another in your truth and in your love. Lord, we know that there are many needs represented here this day, no doubt, many with burdened hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves, and Lord, we ask that you might minister your grace, and Lord, that you would bring healing and work in the situations of our lives to where you will receive the glory and honor that you so rightly deserve. And Lord, may we give you that glory in all things, no matter what the outcomes may be. May it be that our lives are submitted unto you and that we, Lord, recognize that you are good and that there's nothing that you do that is not good, even if we can't always see and understand how you are working, yet we know that you are working to conform us to the image of your Son. And so we pray that we might be mindful of that as we Uh, approach the Word of God this morning, but also as we live each day of our lives. Thank you for the Word of God that gives us instruction, comfort, correction, and edification for uh, the believers in Christ. We are so grateful that you guide us, lead us, and direct us in your truth by the working of your Spirit. May we be submitted now to you in all things, and may you again receive the glory and honor that you are rightly due. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. Over the past several weeks, if you've been with us, you're aware that we have been looking into Paul's exhortation to the church at Colossae regarding their responsibility to live in the truth or in the preeminence of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Paul's exhortation, as we've seen, also serves as a description for us of genuine Christianity. Paul first stated 
as we've seen in the weeks past, if ye then be risen with Christ here in verse 1, he says, seek those things which are above. And Paul here is exhorting the Colossian believers to be intentional in their desires. When he says seek those things, that has to do with the desire. Um, and he's saying that we are to, to seek after, that we are to be intentional concerning the things that we desire after. Paul continued by saying in verse 2, if ye then be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above. And so Paul here exhorts the Colossian believers to be intentional regarding that to which they set their mind and heart or to that, or that to which they gave themselves. So in other words, he's saying you are to be intentional concerning your desires. You are to, to make certain that your desires are in check with that which is in submission to the Lord and pleasing to the Lord according to the word of God and to truth. But then he also says you are to be intentional concerning that which, to which you set your mind. So it's not only the things which you desire, but also to that to which you set your mind. Now, he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, remember, so this, of course, is saying if this is true, then this should be the result or the expectations that follow. Then third, last week we saw where Paul said, if ye then be risen with Christ, verses 4 through 7, mortify your members. And Paul exhorted the Colossian believers, the word mortify is to put to death. And so he's saying that they are to put to death their members, which is to say, put to death every part of your sinful flesh. And the truth is that the flesh, with all its sinful desires, actions, and idolatry, has been crucified with Christ, as Galatians 2 tells us. And we are therefore, in Romans 6 and other passages, we are therefore responsible, having positionally been crucified with Christ, we are responsible to ensure it's dead, that the flesh remains buried, that it remains put to death and buried with him, with Christ. As Paul explained in his epistle to the churches of Galatia in Galatians 5, verses 24 and 25, and they that are Christ's crucified the flesh with the affections and love. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if the Spirit of God is the source of our life, it is, if it is Christ within us that is the originator and the very source of the life which we now have, then let us walk accordingly. That's all Paul is saying here. As I previously explained it is important for us to recognize the commands that are given to both put off and to put on in our text this morning are based, again, on the position that these Colossian believers had already put off the old man and had put on the new man. And uh, the reason, again, that is important is because it's not that the Lord is saying, you know, you need to try to look more Christian-like. No, he is saying, and Paul is exhorting the believers, that if you are risen with Christ, that means you first are crucified with him. And if that is true, then put off these things because this is no longer who you are. And if you are no longer this person, then why would you be uh, presenting yourself in any manner as though you were? That is really the exhortation here. So he's saying, you are dead, you are now risen with Christ, so the old man is dead. So put off these things that relate to the old man because you've already put off the old man. The old man is already dead. And so we are to keep him buried. We are to keep him dead, not try to resurrect him and recognize the remnants that remain concerning that old man. Because the fact of the matter is, as I mentioned last week to you, that we still have a sin nature that plagues us, and we still have issues with that sin nature, and so we are to be aware. And the reason he says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things, be intentional, seeking after that which is above, and also be intentional on placing your mind or, or what you set your mind and, and your heart on and what you give yourself to, to be intentional concerning those matters 
He's saying here that if you are risen with Christ, then this should be the result again, the expectations of that reality. And this is a positional truth in which now we are to live out. And so, again, it's not a, a, a mere attempt of Paul to say, you know, brush up on your Christianity, that type of mentality. No, he's saying live out the truth of Christianity to be aware and intentional in how you do so. Now, there are several things for us to consider from the portion of the text we've read this morning, continuing on from where we've left off in the previous week. As our previous studies have taught us, Paul's exhortations within this passage, as I mentioned a moment ago, are the expected results of every life that has been crucified with Christ and is now risen with Christ. So this is not only an exhortation that this be true, it is also a description of what is true in the life of those who are born again, those who are genuine followers of Christ. So it's also for this reason that I believe Paul provides these exhortations in the order in which he does. Paul first commands the Colossian believers, notice with me, to put off the old ways as those who have put off the old man. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. He says, put off. But now he also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So he's saying, seeing that ye have put off. Now notice again, now ye also put off all of these, he says. Put off anger, malice, blasphemy, and these other things. He says, seeing ye have put off the old man. So we are beginning to be intentional in this and recognizing that the old man has already been put off with his deeds. And we're going to, deal, we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper, delve into this a little bit more so in just a moment. But then notice... Paul explains that because these believers had put on the new man, they were to also put on all that pertained to the new man. He says, number two, put on, verses 10, 12, and 14. Let's read just those verses separately. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Verse 12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. During our study of Ephesians 6, nearly a year and a half ago, when we were working through the book of Ephesians, I explained to you the importance of Paul's command for the Ephesian believers to put on the whole armor of God. And the term put on in, that Paul used in Ephesians 6 is the same term, the same Greek word he uses in this epistle when writing to the Colossians. In Ephesians 6.10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I'm reading verse 10 for a reason uh, before you read verse 11. And that is because, as Paul explained, and as I previously explained to you concerning Colossians, we are to rely totally on the strength and power of God. Consistent in his teaching, Paul here in Ephesians 6.10 once again explains the importance of God's provision, which we are commanded to appropriate. Again, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He's saying, first and foremost, rest and rely upon the Lord, upon God, upon God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, his strength, his might, his provision for us. But then verse 11 of chapter 6 of Ephesians goes on to say, he says, verse 10, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the of the devil. Now, the imperative, the statement put on is an imperative. It's instruction. He's saying, Put on, and it means to dress or to clothe just as it means the same in the book of Colossians. During our study of this portion of Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, I explained to you that we are to view 
the command to put on, or this imperative to put on the whole armor of God as a regular spiritual daily routine for the believer. In other words, this command should be as normal for the believer as it is for any person to physically dress or clothe himself daily in an appropriate manner. Just as clothes are natural and necessary for daily activity, so also this armor in Ephesians 6, 11, should be viewed as a normal necessity for the everyday life and activity of the believer. Back in, when we went through Ephesians, I, if you recall, some of you may spark a, a memory. I explained to you, if you remember, that whenever Paul gives this command to put on the whole armor of God, that so often people view this command as though spiritual warfare, this battle in which we are engaged, is something that happens every now and then or something that we have to kind of try to prepare for when we think it's necessary. And they almost view the armor that's being spoken of here as though this is some armory that God has, some closet that God has somewhere in which all this stuff is just stowed away and then when we need it, we can access it and go get it. That's not at all what Paul is saying here, though. Paul is saying as a daily, moment-by-moment, regular routine for the believer, we are to dress ourselves, we are to put on as we would clothes this whole armor of God, recognizing the necessity for it. And the statement whole armor refers to every weapon, every instrument, and every tool. The Lord has provided all the resources, in other words, for the daily battles that we face, for the spiritual war in which we are engaged. God has not only provided us this armor so that we can gain a victory, but he's provided us the armor that we might daily experience the victory he has provided for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, putting on the armor is not gaining the victory. Putting on the armor is what is necessary for you to recognize, to realize, and understand the victory that God has provided in Christ. So it is only as we daily appropriate God's provision in Jesus Christ that we will experience the peace, the joy, the victory that God has given us in Jesus Christ. As we discovered during our Ephesians study, to put on the armor is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where it becomes really interesting. If you look in Romans chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, Paul makes reference to this same armor he references in Ephesians 6, and notice what he ends up saying. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Now notice what he states here. Let us cast off the works of darkness. What are we looking at in Colossians? Put off these deeds, anger, malice. And then he goes on to say, put on, because we put on the new man, now we put on. He says, cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Now notice here, he is saying that we are not to walk accordingly as that old man, the works of darkness, that old man and his ways and all that relates to him and his deeds and his actions, but rather put on the armor of life. Then he goes on to say, verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Again, these are not just things God's provided for us that we can access when necessary. No, this is the provision of Christ on our behalf. Put on the armor of life. Put on the whole armor of God. We looked through Ephesians 6, if you recall, and saw every piece of armor relates to the person of Jesus Christ and his ministry as it relates to man within our lives. The point is, to put on the armor 
of light, to put on the whole armor of God. Paul says here, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. The only antidote to the old man is the new man. There's no other option. There's no other, there's no other answer for the old man other than the new man. And so while men will attempt to put off the old man, if they are still living in the reality of that old man, then even if they're able to shed some of the actions or deeds, there is no regenerated life within that person who does not know Christ. Therefore, they are not putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're simply trying to brush up on appearances and, and perception. And so it's important that we recognize that there's a consistency in Paul's teaching in Romans, in uh, Colossians, in Ephesians. There's a consistency concerning the fact that putting off because Christ is now within us. He is this new life, and we are a new man because of Christ. We are to put on the mind of Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ because that's been provided for us by God's provision for us in Jesus. And so once again, the term put on the armor of light and put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ is the same verb used in both Ephesians and Colossians. So it's talking about clothing and dressing. So Paul is saying, dress, clothe yourself in Christ. Now, when you think of that, obviously, I think our minds would immediately, if you theologically are minded much at all, you will go to putting on righteousness, if you will, because Christ is our righteousness. We've been clothed in his righteousness. So again, Paul is saying, live in the truth of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye therein. So we are to live out, again, this truth. This is the expectation. The term expectation not meaning simply, this is what should be. No, this is what will be. And it may not be at the same rate, but this is what's going to be within the life of the child of God. Now, it is true, again, that this is something we are intentionally uh, to engage in, in terms of recognizing the old man wanting to rise up, be resurrected within us. And we are to recognize those deeds. But we are to recognize, more importantly, that we are crucified with Christ. And we are risen with him. And so this order that is given, I believe, first to put off and then put on, is done so for a reason. The point concerning these exhortations in Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, which all are parallel to one another, is that the execution of these commands should be as common and as normal to the believer as it is to awake physically and dress for the day. I would venture to say, listen closely to me, anyone who is of any maturity at all, physically and mentally, and anyone who is in their right mindset, physically speaking, and of a proper age maturity, does not have to be when they get up in the morning to get dressed. It's something we know needs to be done. It's something we are aware. And obviously as well, as we looked at in our study of Ephesians, putting on the God, that is appropriate dress for the daily battles and which we, in which we are engaged, we are to appropriately dress for the matter at hand, if you will. And might I say to you, or ask you this question, when is it, what moment of your spiritual existence do you not need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? This is the appropriate 
appropriate provision that God has made for us daily. And we are to be conscious of this and aware of this and intentional and purposeful concerning clothing ourselves appropriately as God has commanded and provided for us. I also had previously explained in our Ephesians study that we are to dress, as I mentioned, appropriately for the activities of the day, and hence Paul's exhortation to put on the whole armor of God as he's provided it, as Jesus Christ, we are daily engaged in a spiritual warfare, and we are to prepare by appropriating God's provision on our behalf. The same preparation is necessary in relation to Paul's exhortation in Colossians. When Paul exhorts the church to put off the actions of the old man, he is declaring that this expectation is as natural for the believer as it would be to put off dirty work clothes at the end of the day. So Paul begins by saying, put off. And I believe there's a reason for this order. Remember with me, Paul speaks about crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, right? He talks about we are buried in Romans 6. We are buried in his death, but we are raised in his resurrection. So the point is the death comes prior to the life. And so there's no wonder as to why Paul would give this order in putting off on verses 8 and 9 but now he also put off all these anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy communication out of your mouth lie not one to another seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds so we are told to remove to put off means to remove as you would garments to cast off anger which is wrath wrath which speaks of indignation Malice, which is wickedness or evil itself. Blasphemy, which is slander. Filthy communication, which is abusive language. And lies, which has to do with telling lies or falsehood. Again, this is the expectation of one who is living in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This should be the natural response of every believer. In other words, it is unnatural for a believer to embrace or to continue to live with such issues as a part, these issues as part of their lives, as indicated in the latter part of verse 9 when he says, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, this is not an all-exhaustive list of everything that should be put off. But Paul is reminding these believers that there are areas which must be addressed, we must be intentional and in putting these things off, recognizing that we've already put off the old man with his deeds. So in other words, why would someone, why would someone who has been cleansed, why would someone who has taken a shower, bathed, washed themselves, it would not be normal for that person nor common practice for them to put on filthy clothes when new or clean clothes are available. And neither is it normal for a believer who has been cleansed by the blood of Christ in redemption from sin to put on the filthiness of the flesh. You say, well, wait a minute. What if someone doesn't have anything but what they're wearing? What if someone, all they have are the clothes they, that they have and they don't have a means to wash them and they do shower but then they have to put those dirty clothes back on. 
I said, when there are clean new clothes available. Now remember, Jesus Christ, we've been given the righteousness of Christ. Why would we put on the filth of the flesh which is dead when we have been provided the very righteousness of Christ in which we are to live? Why would we? Why would we put on this? Why would we walk in such a manner? Why would we embrace such a manner? Well, I will say this. There are plenty of, there are plenty of people who attempt to clean themselves up and all they have to then dress themselves with is their own filthy flesh. But for those who are in Christ, we've been made a new man and we've been provided righteousness so it makes no sense now let's stop and reason together for just a moment it makes no sense for us i i, I never come home after working all day hop in the shower get cleaned up and then go and put on my dirty work clothes again to go out with my wife Even if I would do that, she wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> or she wouldn't go with me when we went out. <laughs> so I'd be going by myself. How, how, it's, it's foolish for us to think that that would be appropriate or common or that that would be acceptable or that that would be reasonable or rational to do such a thing if there are clean or new, clean or new attire that is available and provided for us. And so it is within our, our walk with the Lord. And that's what Paul's saying, put off. It is irrational to think that a born-again believer would go back to the filth of the flesh when there is the righteousness of Christ that has been provided for us. Now, can we allow the filth of the flesh? It's the thing. We become tainted as it is, do we, in our daily walk. We, we, we are sinful. So therefore, we to continue to put to death, continue to die, continue to put off the old man with his deeds because we are dead. That old man is crucified with Christ. Acknowledge that, recognize that. But I will say to you as well, there are a number of people, as I mentioned a moment ago, are attempting to clean themselves up and they have no other provision for them because they do not know Christ in which to live apart from their filthy flesh. But why would a believer do that? Why would one who has such provision choose to to put on that filth? Cast off. Put off. The old man, Paul, I mentioned this verse or these verses, this passage last week to you. And before I, I read it, let me remind you of this truth, as I believe I mentioned last week as well. That although there is no sin to which the believer is immune, it is unnatural, it is abnormal, and it is impossible for someone who has been redeemed to live the lifestyle of the unregenerate man. I didn't say he can't commit the sin, I just prefaced with that. We can commit any sin, we're, we're capable of that. But Paul says it's impossible for that person to continue just to live in that. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, listen to what Paul says. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he makes this distinguishing remark. And such were some of you. This is what such were, not are, were some of you. But ye are washed. Oh, wait a minute. So, fleshly lifestyle, we've been washed from that. Put that on when you've been cleansed from the filth. You're washed, he says. You're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Since you've put off the old man in his deeds, Paul further expounded in his epistle to the Ephesian believers when he said, Ephesians 4, 29-32, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Isn't it interesting in Ephesians 4 that Paul brings back to memory that you, in Ephesians 2 he says, that you were these things. You were dead in your sins. And you were without hope. And you walked as children of disobedience. Among whom we all had our conversation time past, he says. But yet, God, mercy and has redeemed us and cleansed us and then ephesians 4 he says let no corrupt communication again intentionally do not allow this to be because that's not who you are but then he brings into light the fact that we are to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you see how could it be that we could live bracing such actions of the flesh when we are reminded that god cleansed us from that he has forgiven us of that he has taken us out of that and that's what paul is saying here in ephesians 4 and as well in first corinthians 6 because again every person every every sin he mentions here is actually not a sin it is a sinner it is a person he mentions every single one of them the unrighteous fornicators idolaters adulterers effeminate abusers of themselves of mankind thieves covetous drunkards extortioners None of these, every one of those mentioned are not sins, but actual sinful people themselves, which Paul categorizes as the unrighteous. Not people acting unrighteously, the unrighteous. But I've said to you so many times already this morning, is it not true that God the Father has imputed unto us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ? So we are not the unrighteous. We can still do unrighteously. We do, and we can, but we are not unrighteous. We are righteous in Christ. We are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified. Such were some of you. So again, I submit to you for a question, why in the world? Think it common. Why in the, as believers in Jesus Christ, why would we think it would be common? Why would we think? acceptable why do you think it would be even possible 
for ourselves who've been redeemed, regenerated, those who've been born again, who've been washed, to put on the filth of flesh and walk therein. Why would we think that? I'm going to tell you why we think that, which hopefully you don't, but I'll tell you why so many do. So many people are trying to wash themselves who've never been washed. And it's so commonplace for religious people to continue to put on the of the flesh because they've never put off the old man to begin with. And then the church says, well, it's just how it goes. No, it's not just how it goes, not according to Scripture. So why would that be acceptable? And again, to give you a physical example of how erroneous that is, that thought, that's like you working all day in the summer heat and sweating and being filthy and just common grunt work, if you will, and stinky and going and washing yourself and getting right back in those same clothes and sitting down at the dinner table and thinking that that's just appropriate behavior. None of us would think that that's just okay or that that's normal. At least I hope you don't. (laughs) Because it's not. (laughs) But yet so many people view Christianity as though that's what it is. And it's not. Remember, Paul's exhortations here are not only imperative to be intentional about these matters, but also descriptive of the genuine Christian life. And proof of that and evidence of that is 1 Corinthians 6, when again Paul says, such were some of you, but that's not who you are. So cast these things off. Again, listen, I want to be very careful in saying, clearly understand what I'm about to say. And we are and fearful. And when I say fearful, I don't mean scared, but living in reverential fear of God and the truth of who he is and what he has done for us, remembering that we've been forgiven. Because there is not a sin, hear me, there's not a sin that you are immune to. You are capable of any sin. I'm capable of any sin. But there's a difference in being capable and committing a sin and putting on the filth of the flesh and living in that. And it's not that it's excusable in any case, either case. But the Scripture's not saying, oh, you can't sin. The Scripture's not saying you cannot be idolatrous. The Scripture's not saying you could not steal, you could not kill. It's not saying... You could not be a, a committed adultery, meaning like that that's impossible for a believer to do, though it's not acceptable at all, and it's unrighteous. It's not saying that can't happen. It's saying you can't live that filth as a follower of Christ. You can't because we've been washed. God will not allow that. He will, he will correct. He will chase. Remember, those he loves, he chastens. Does everyone receive chastening? Nope. But those he loves receive chastening. God corrects them. So put off, put away the filthy garments of the flesh. Just as it is not normal, again, as I said, nor a common practice for someone who has just been cleansed to put on filthy clothes or wash themselves to put on filthy clothes when other is available, neither is it normal for a believer who has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus to put on the filthiness of the flesh and to walk and live therein as though that's just acceptable. Because it's not. Again, I remind you, there are many people today 
who have not the righteousness of Christ. They are not righteous. They are unregenerate. And they will attempt to clean themselves up. They'll attempt to do better. But they're going to continue just to live of their own flesh. Even if it's not manifested to all, it will still be present. Now, while the fifth of the flesh is still present for us even as believers, the difference is we recognize we have been washed and we have the righteousness of Jesus by which we are to appropriate in our lives, live, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, clothe ourselves in the truth, this righteousness he has provided us, live therein, putting off, casting off the old man and his deeds. Hear me, you are crucified with Christ. You are dead. The source of your life is no longer your desires. It is now his desires he has given you. It's his life within you. It's his mind which you are to function under submission to. So it's a continual process in our lives. It's continual. Again, this is not perfection by any means because none of us are perfect and none of us will reach that perfection while breathing this air. We are going to continue to struggle and to deal, when I say struggle, to war with that sinful nature. We're going to continue to war with sin itself. It's going to be a continual, constant battle. However, at the same time, we are to be intentional in making certain that that old man stays dead and all of his deeds. Again, we'll see, Lord willing, next week, put on, as Paul said, put on. But first he begins with put off because we are dead, we are buried, we're to cast off the works of darkness, having already been made new in Christ. So let us be aware. And let us not think it normal, common, or acceptable for ourselves or anyone else we know who claims to know the Lord and walk with him to live a lifestyle in the filth of the flesh. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we do thank you.